0: Well, hello, and welcome to the Christchurch Lifelines podcast, where we will be continuing the conversation started in our recent sermon series on mental health. In these four episodes, we will further explore the realities of mental health struggle and its intersection with faith. Join myself, Aaron Foster, and other Christchurch teammates as we sit with guests and professionals to learn how to seek hope in such a frenzied world. Each episode will also feature an intentional spiritual discipline led by Pastor Eric Haskins, designed to help us live into healthy rhythms of prayer and scripture to find hope and peace amidst our struggle. We are so excited for you to join us as we continue the conversation of Seeking Lifelines for our mental health. On this episode, we are blessed to be joined by Junie Felix. Junie is a woman of prayer, a best-selling author of the book You Are Worth the Work. She is a member of Dr. B.J. Fogg's behavior design teaching team at Stanford. She's a neurotheologian, which she will share more about in just a little bit. She recently began serving as the mentoring and engagement coordinator at Northern Seminary. And she is an author, a speaker, a C.S. Lewis Institute fellow, a radio and podcast host. and In her spare time, she's a distance runner, a video gamer, and science hi-fi movie buff. As you get to know her a bit more in this conversation, you'll hear her pastoral heart and her infectious positivity that she carries with her everywhere. So without further ado, let's jump into the conversation now. Well, we are super excited to have with us Junie Felix. Junie, thank you for joining us. We We just can't wait to get into this conversation.
1: Well, I'm so happy to be here. Thank you for this invite, Aaron.
0: Yeah, we're we're really pumped to hear from you today. Um, how how's your day going so far? Anything noteworthy happened today for you?
1: Oh, the beautiful snow. Oh, that's I right. love I love the snow. It's gorgeous. And I, really? I I do, I enjoy it so much. And I have a pet squirrel that I feed. And every morning he comes to get his snacks. And this morning he brought a friend. His name is wow. Carl. I haven't met the friend yet, but my squirrel's name is Carlton. And yeah, so that was a, a really great start to the day. The beautiful snow and my little buddy
0: showed up to visit with a friend. Amazing. And the Lord added to their number daily is is what the scriptures say, right? Amen. <laughs> it works in the squirrel community as well. That's awesome. Sure Carlton Carlton and friend. I, I can't wait to follow up later and figure out what the friend's name is. Um, Maybe Will.
1: Oh, yeah. <laughs> That'll be perfect. <laughs>
0: Well, great. Uh, Junie, we're, we're again, so excited to have you. For those of you who don't know, and you heard it in the intro, but Junie is um, just an, an expert in in um, understanding trauma and the effects it has on the brain and what it looks like for um, folks to navigate that and to to move towards healing and to move towards recovery. And that she's written um, just an amazing book called, You Are Worth the Work, um, that as I've read through um, there, it, it's just full of tiny little nuggets and big nuggets um that it feels like every page there's something really profound and important to to sit with and wrestle with um and apply it's very practical um in in how we understand trauma and how we um move through uh experiences of life that that bring trauma or um remind us of trauma and, and bring that up again for us. Um, so Junie, thank you for that work. Thank you for that ministry. I would love to just open it up to you, share a little bit about yourself so that we can get to know you. Um, uh, what, what's your story? How and how has the Lord kind of drawn you into this passion for for? Um, yeah, sharing with people how to navigate and, and move through and recover from from the traumas of life
1: oh thank you so much for your feedback on the work and that's one of the things i love to hear is that it's practical and that's something about me that's really important is that i'm i'm very pragmatic i love trying new things i love finding things that work i love Eliminating the things that don't work, just the excitement of living life as a researcher and a tester. And yeah, as a behavior designer, that is one of the things that I do. I teach the science of human behavior through behavior design. Uh, My mentor out of Stanford, Dr. B.J. Fogg, he, a long, long time ago, back before anyone believed that computers could be persuasive, he's the father of persuasive technology. Hmm. And a lot of the research that we now call behavior design is all about the tiny little things that are most effective and su- successful whether that's a product a system or service uh, the science of behavior design is something that i'm spending a lot of time on right now but i've also spent a lot of time in ministry i have 18 and a half and counting years of live broadcasting experience wow. uh, moved to chicago to host the morning show for moody radio and I hosted for them for uh, Moody Radio South, West Michigan, uh, Trans World Radio. I've done just a lot of radio and broadcasting, and so much discipleship along the way. But what many people did not know about me until pretty recent past was that I am a complex trauma survivor, hmm. and I am. That's a term. Complex trauma is a term that's used to describe those of us who, in our journey, have experienced multiple levels and layers of trauma. So if you did a google search for complex trauma and definitions you'll find that that's the really short version for those of us who are born and experience multiple layers and levels of trauma and trauma is a deep wound of the soul that hurts Mm. and affects every part of your life and so even though i was doing all that ministry and serving and teaching and broadcasting that was never something that was in the the spotlight Because as a trauma survivor, trying to figure out how, and this is something that uh, many people who are trauma survivors deal with on a daily basis, there's an exhaustion, a spiritual, emotional, a physical exhaustion that comes with trying to reconcile the reality of deeply personal evil, evil you cannot help but take personally, and and an all-knowing, all-powerful, loving God. So behind the scenes in my journey professionally and personally was this trauma journey that I never really talked about until in public until the recent part of my journey
0: wow and and on that um because a lot of the the episodes of this podcast that that we've had already has talked about um that that difficulty to step into vulnerability and sharing some of the the, the brokenness or things that we wanna hide um, from the public eye. What was it that that led you to, to want to share that or to start speaking more publicly about some of that trauma?
1: Well, I used to think that I had been cheated because I wasn't raised in the church.
0: Hmm.
1: I was born into a literal whirlwind of trauma and drama, wow. abuse, chaos the only thing I knew in my growing years of all of my childhood years was that life was hard often scary sometimes terrifying and deeply unfair I wasn't raised anywhere near what we would consider being raised in the church Um, my mother was sick for as long as I knew her she passed away in 2015 Mm. I spent my entire childhood on suicide watch and so with the ups and downs of growing up, being born into traumatic experiences, many people are dealing with the hunger and the homelessness and the want and the need and the confusion of it all, I used to think it was a disadvantage that I hadn't been raised in a church, but now that I am in the body, you know, and journeying with my brothers and sisters in faith in the church, I see that I have a perspective that many people can connect with and relate too, because I was the person who I was given my first Bible when I was 17 years old. I remember I was I was working. I was in the 11th grade and I was always working. I got my first job when I was 13 and I was working for half the day and going to high school the other half of the day. So I would leave at lunchtime and go to my afternoon job. And I wasn't working to buy lip gloss and, and Coke, I Coca-Cola. <laughs> you know, I was working to help pay bills and keep the lights on and buy food for my siblings. And so I was carpooling uh, with a woman named Linda Jarvis. I'll never forget it. And there I was, you know, 17 years old. And she said to me before she dropped me off one day after work, Junie, I know you like to read. And here's a book that might help you to understand what you're worth mm. and at the time I didn't believe I had any worth you know I, I just knew that um, life was hard and I was a worthless thing and there was just no no system or purpose to it all and but I, I took that Bible home and I started to read and I couldn't put it down
0: wow. it's
1: through the pages of God's word that I learned something so different than anything I'd ever known. And so not being raised in the church and meeting God through his word and by his spirit has given me a perspective on many things, including trauma recovery that has proven to be helpful for, for many people.
0: Yeah, that's really great. And I, I so appreciate that. That um, story was it, Linda Jarvis that you said.
1: Linda Jarvis. Yeah, Linda
0: Jarvis. Um, how how much of a blessing are those people in our lives that can can see us where we're at and offer us that that hope of the gospel? In her case, just very physically handing you the gospel, right, and watching the Lord work through that. And and you mentioned. You didn't know you didn't feel like you were worth anything that there was um, a ba- uh you know, a, a battle of what your value is in that um, the title of your book is you are worth the work um, and I love that title and I, I, I just can hear that there's a depth of um, experience and and um, intentionality behind that title. Can you share a little bit about um, yeah how you came to that title and what that means for you as as you put that on the front of your work um, in that book.
1: Yes. Well, when you are a trauma survivor, it's easy to believe the lie that you have no worth and no value, that if there is a God, he is uninterested and uh, unavailable, and you're just not worth his time, Hmm. because you can't miss the contrast between your experience and the many, many others that you hear about. And even when I first started attending church, I was, you know, sitting in the pews, hearing over and over again, God wants to use you. God wants to use you. And anyone who's ever been in an abusive situation, you know, it's hard to hear and hard to understand. It's like I would respond, well, tell God to take a number and get in line wow. if he will use me. Wow. When you have that kind of perspective and you're coming and you're meeting God, it really does bring some amazing light into your journey when you realize that the gospel is clear you are worthy you are worth it and the lies that your trauma has taught you are lies Mm. and we know as believers that the the father of lies he's the author of these lies but the scripture is clear our father is the god of truth and so trauma recovery at the basic beginning level is choosing to believe the truth. Mm. And I often will share that it's not the amount of faith that matters. You have faith. I mean, that's what brought you here to this moment. You're listening to this podcast, Lifelines, because you have faith. It's not the amount of faith that matters in your healing journey. It is your commitment to your healing journey. You've got all the faith you need, but you need to make your healing the priority, not a priority, but the priority, just like the way that we brush our teeth or we take a bath or we eat healthy foods or we eat any food or we go to bed at night. These are things that we just do. They're priority items. We need to make the healing journey a priority item so that we can align with God and be well If serving, giving, and going was the cure for trauma, then my book would be called Why Serving, Giving, and Going is the Cure for Complex Trauma. But it's not. Take two minutes on the front page of my website, scroll through. If serving, giving, and going was all you needed, then I would be the poster child for it. But it's not. You have to align with God because He wants you well, and you have to choose to start believing the truth no matter how tiny and hang on to that word Cause that's key.
0: Yeah, for sure. I love that. And, and a lot of that, and we'll get to this idea in a little bit, but a lot of that has to do with our slowing down to align ourselves with the work of the Lord um, to recognize that we are operating so often at a pace that doesn't allow us to really see what the Lord is doing in our lives. Or to even begin to align ourselves with him, and so to to slow down, um, to sit with him, to recognize the presence of the Lord, um, so that we can then align ourselves to his his work um, helps us into that path to to choosing to believe the truth. That's really good, and again, we'll we'll get to that in a little bit. Um, we've been talking a lot about trauma already, and you did. Um, define it a little bit by saying it's a deep wound of the soul, but in your book too, you go into to share an analogy of, on coding um, and, and how trauma is very much like coding. And, and in your um, educational background, you've learned and studied a lot about what trauma is, what it does in the brain. Can you share with us, um, and for me specifically, somebody who doesn't have a lot of that language and, and had knowledge about what what's happening with trauma, can you share share what how you would define trauma and what trauma looks like?
1: I'll be glad to. Now, in addition to some of the other things I'm blessed to, to teach and share, I'm also a neurotheologian, wow. and that's a term that basically means that the God who inspired the Scriptures also designed our brain and mm-hmm. our neurological processes and how our mind and our neurology works. And uh, it goes back to the third century um, of of human the human story. Neurotheology has been around that long, but yes. I shared that I was born into this chaos and this drama and this trauma. My, I started trauma therapy when I was four years old and I have, I'm a pre-verbal trauma survivor, and that's a term that means for those of us who experienced traumatic events before we had the capacity cognitively or otherwise to even express what we were feeling, I have second-degree burns on my body from when I was six months old. Mm. And so I can vividly remember my trauma therapy sessions from beginning at about age nine. Wow. Uh, yeah, vivid memory there. So I have a deep appreciation for anyone who is in the field of mental health and trauma and self-care. It's vital. It's essential. Being a Christian doesn't mean that you don't need therapy, hmm. uh, Jesus plus therapy, and lots of other interventions. But with the trauma recovery journey, what's important for us to understand is um going back to me at age nine, that's not the most, the homelessness and the abuse that was happening at that time was not the most important thing about age nine. Because for me, that was the first time I sat in front of the old Apple IIe computer (laughs) and loaded up my wagon uh, to conquer the quest of the Oregon Trail. You know, sometimes they call us the Oregon Trail generation. I'm actually more I'm actually more tech savvy than my sons uh, who are Gen Z. But um, yeah, so loaded up my wagon to conquer the quest of the Oregon Trail. And that was when I fell in love with how things work. I remember being a little girl and going, I have to know how this works. And so I was a kid who would go into the public library and I would, I would, okay, confession time, I would tear out articles in popular mechanics and, um, you know, and I would fold them up and stuff them in my clothes so I could study (laughs) them later. I've just been a researcher from an early age, but yeah, I fell in love with the way things work with programming, coding, coding systems, design um, programming and coding was my first major in college. And then I changed it to communications and then finished up with biblical studies. But um, yeah, I fell in love with the way things work and I could clearly see the more I learned about how our technology works. I could clearly see the parallels hmm. and, um, There is an interview called The Lost Interview with Steve Jobs, and it was recorded in the 80s. And in that interview, he says, once it was found, of course, he says that every child should learn how to code and program computers because it teaches you how your mind works. And it is so true. There are systems and processes that our mind uses that are nearly identical to what happens behind the scenes in our technology. And that's because God is a systems guy. It just makes sense. Now, I mentioned my squirrel Carlton that I care for. Um, We see God is a systems guy all around us in nature. I mean, if you look at uh, Romans chapter one, I have my Bible here. One of my tiny habits is always having my physical Bible with me. But if you look at Romans chapter one, We see that God's a systems guy because the manifestations of his will are all around us. It's what we call reality. And so if you scale that down to tiny with us made in the image of God, the manifestations of our reality, the relationships that we have, the profession that we chose, the way that we parent, the way that we partner, the type of spouse that we are, the type of friend that we are, the manifestations of our will creates our reality, just like God The manifestations of his will creates the multiverse Mm. so when you think of it that way that god is a systems guy and that there is a system that we can follow as human creatures that can lead us toward our aspirations and objectives successfully then you follow the system once you know it you will start to see god at work and it's all about the tiny for god everything is tiny everything is incremental. That's why we have so many analogies to planting a seed and caring for it in the right soil, in the scripture. Because with God, it's all about the tiny, the incremental, the baby steps. And that's the science of behavior design and how human behavior is supposed to work.
0: Yeah, yeah. Tell me. That's, that's really great. and I appreciate you, you um, laying that out because um, it, it, makes, it makes total sense when you think about it that way. It starts to help me at least. Um, and I, I wonder if there's others listening that are in the same boat as me, but and, it helps yeah, me to trauma. understand, understand trauma. our trauma.
1: Trauma is bad code. Hmm. And if you think about the tiny, invisible lines of code that are powering all of our technology, trauma is bad code. Something happened that started that line of code. And one tiny thing after the next has created all of these pathways and patterns in our minds that cause us to respond in very specific ways. Mm. We have specific behaviors that we choose when we are triggered or prompted by our trauma and those feelings of sadness and sorrow. So the system is there and once we know it, we can design strategies for recovery that will work And it's a strategy that's just for you, Aaron. Your strategy, your code won't work for me. My code won't work for you. But if we understand to keep it tiny, celebrate those successes, then we will be in alignment with God's design for us.
0: I've heard you mention the term tiny um, a few times now. Talk, talk to us about the, the idea of tiny habits and explain to us what, what tiny habits is and um, what that, that process, that program looks like um, and how that kind of, and you've mentioned it a little bit already, but how does that help shape and, and reform the code um, or to, to help um, write the code down, down the way to, to change the way that we um, engage with, with the trauma?
1: Okay, we'll get a little nerdy here. Let's do it. (laughs) Because um, in uh, neurology, in our, you know, the way our minds work, the system that God designed for our minds, you have what's called neurogenesis. And that's when your brain cells create new pathways. Hmm brand new, neurogenesis. You know, first book of the Bible, it begins. There's also neuroplasticity. That means that our brain, like a muscle, can grow and change. So it's important to understand that change is a skill, and that's good news, because that Mm -hmm. means that it's something you can learn. Change is a skill. I'm also a video gamer. Uh, Consoles, not PC. You know, there's a battle going on. That's right. Classic. But um, you can level up, you know, if you understand that what you have is not set in stone. It is not a fixed thing because of neurogenesis and neuroplasticity. You can grow and move forward no matter your trauma, the level of trauma. God in in his loving design allows us to do this. So please keep that in mind. Behavior design is A comprehensive system for thinking clearly about human behavior and designing simple ways to transform lives. All right, so the nerdy moment is done. (laughs) One of the the simple ways that we, um, methods we call them, um, for transforming lives is tiny habits. And this is not something that we decided to call it as a teaching team. It's being called a global intervention because Mm. across cultures, these tiny habits, this method for behavior change is proving to be successful for many people. And it's about creating new habits. Start with this. Emotions create our habits. Mm. The science has proven and true. Our emotions create our habits In matters of trauma recovery. We are dealing what we know with our triggers all throughout the day. A single day can have hundreds of triggers where something touches that wounded spot, that deep wound of the soul and ouch, it hurts. And we immediately respond in some tiny way. We immediately respond. The formula for human behavior is behavior equals motivation And when you're in pain, the motivation is to stop the pain. Hmm. Ability. We always respond based on our ability. And then there's a prompt. We're all familiar with prompts. Notifications on the smartphone. Guess where that science came from? That science came from behavior design and, and persuasive technology. There's always a prompt. So you have motivation to stop the pain. You have the ability to do something. And the prompt is the sorrow. It's the heartache that you felt when you were triggered, right? Wow. Yeah. So you're going to respond in some tiny way. The way that you apply this to your healing journey is that you can design, intentionally design a response, a behavior that is tiny and helpful and loving instead of an act of micro self-betrayal. Wow. But you have to think tiny. And remember, it's all about the incremental, the accumulation. You're planting a seed, a good seed, and then you have to water it and care for it in all the ways that... Make the most sense to your journey, but keep it tiny, keep it simple, because that means you always have the ability, remember the formula, to do something. For me, yeah, I used to respond to my trauma by finding some serious sugar. Hmm. Baskin Robbins bubblegum ice cream. There you go. That was my response. I had the ability because I could afford it, and I had the ability because I could drive there after work. Sure. And I got that that ice cream, but guess what? My health started declining. Mm. I developed a sugar addiction. That response was not loving or helpful. How can I have a loving and helpful response when I'm prompted by my pain to seek sugar? I would keep a sugar-free snack on hand and then I would always take that sugar-free snack and take a tiny bite and I would say, yes, I'm doing this and I'm sugar-free. That tiny celebration, It's what causes what we call what I call the dopamine spark in your brain. Sure. And your brain wants to go back for more. Yeah. Every tiny time you succeed, celebrate, and your brain will tell you to go back for more.
0: So what does that look like in terms of uh, the trauma recovery? What is a what is a healthy prompt look like? And then a healthy celebration of the the good the the fulfilling the good prompt you know what i mean does that question make sense yeah
1: absolutely yes and this is one of the things that brought me to true breakthrough i'm so grateful for my mentor at stanford dr bj fogg because he taught me what's called the maui habit and it's named that because that's where he came up with the maui habit using behavior design and so Creating new habits is as easy as A, B, C. Mm -hmm. First, you need an anchor. There's your A. And your anchor moment has to be ideally a part of your existing routine. And pick something really easy because simplicity changes behavior. That's one of our maxims. It's true. So pick something easy. With the Maui habit, the anchor moment is waking up. How easy is that, Erin? I mean, and we're kids. We're we're children of God. We're children of God. So it's a win-win. Either you don't wake up and you see the face of Jesus, or you do wake up and you've got a new day, right? So your anger moment is waking up. There's your A, followed immediately by your tiny behavior. Mm. Now this is important. Make it tiny, keep it simple. So you just, as soon as you realize you're awake, say these words, it's going to be a great day. Mm. And if you're really in a season of heartache, as I was waking up every day with a broken heart, while serving in full-time ministry quite successfully quotes here sure while waking up with a broken heart just add one word add the word somehow Hmm. it's gonna be a great day somehow there's your tiny behavior you can say it in your mind or you can say it out loud i really believe in saying it out loud you know what jesus said about speaking things out follow that immediately with a tiny celebration it can be as simple as smiling and taking a deep calming breath and a slow exhale which is really important for if you're, you're a PTSD survivor like I am. Mm. So anchor moment, wake up. Tiny behavior, it's gonna be a great day somehow. Slow, deep, calming breath and smile. Or even just give yourself a hug. Mm. Think about how fast this happens. And you may think it's a tiny thing, but remember one keystroke in a line of code leads to
0: yeah. success. Yeah,
1: It's not tiny in so many ways. Number one, it reaffirms your identity. You are a man of faith or a woman of faith. When you wake up and you say, it's going to be a great day somehow, that is a statement of faith. And here's the neurotheology. It tells your brain what to look forward to, what to expect. Hmm. Think about how alternately, if you wake up and you say, I hate my life, and you start rehearsing all the things that are wrong, you are really programming the rest of your day. You're designing your day. You're going to see everything through that filter. But you wake up and you say, it's going to be a great day somehow. And then you smile, take a deep, calming breath. You're slowing down your whole system, your whole neurological system. And you're affirming that you are a man of faith or a woman of faith. And you're off to a strong start. And that makes all the difference, one tiny decision at a time.
0: And I think, too, there's um, to kind of marry some of these ideas of aligning with um, the, the the work of the Lord in our lives um, and with these these tiny habits, to, to marry those by using your words that God is a systems guy, God designed this for us to do, um, to help us move through and um, in, in and um, process and recover from our trauma. This isn't um, something that that we are doing on our own, but God has designed this. He is He has offered um, these these examples in Scripture of us of recovering in in some of these ways. Um, in your book, you talk about. Um, the, the parable where the, the person is scattering the seeds on the, the rocky soil, the, the soil that has thorns in it, and then the fertile soil. Um, can you expound a, a bit a little bit on that and, and share how does that parable relate with some of the trauma recovery um, stuff in research that, that you've been doing?
1: Oh, sure thing. Well, you know, that's a famous parable about the soils and as a trauma survivor, hearing these parables, reading them for the first time, you know, come on, I wasn't raised in the church. I got that Bible and I'm meeting God through his word. And so from, from the lens of me coming from all that trauma and heartache and pain and betrayal, the parable of the sower, it's just about the seeds. You know, I mean, it's not exclusively about the seeds, but I think about how God is a God of truth and he sows these seeds of truth into our lives. And one of the things that is most harmful about trauma is that we hold on to the things that we think we need the most. One of the things, questions that I'm asked often is, do you believe that God allowed your trauma to lead you to your calling Mm. and I always immediately respond, absolutely not. Hmm. My trauma and my abusers did nothing good for me. Wow. They, they led me to heartache and pain and decades of sorrow. No, my trauma did me no good. Hmm. The love of God is the seed. The love of God and my love for him, his love for me. I mean, Jesus was clear about this in John 17. This is eternal life, that they would know you and the one who you've sent. The love of God is the catalyst that leads us to our assignment. Because we all have the same calling. It's to love the Lord with heart, soul, mind, and strength and love our neighbors as ourselves. We all have the same calling. We have different assignments. So this particular assignment in helping others to find victory from trauma is to think about the tiny seed, the seed of God's love that has been sown in you and place more value on that than your trauma and your story. Your story matters, it happened, you matter, but let the value be in the seed. Mm. And what watering that seed, what the living water of God's presence can do, because that's what's sustainable. You know, if I think I need my trauma, then I'm going to hang on to it as hard as I can because it helps me be creative and it leads me to this and Mm. it leads me to that. If I think I need it. I'm going to keep it. You know, we've all seen that show hoarders. You know, we keep stuff we think we need, but if we realize we don't need it to move into the fullness of God's design and plan for us on this side of glory, then we're more willing to let it go one tiny decision after the next. Mm. Those seeds that are sown, we have to remember that what is it? Hosea 10. Sow for yourselves righteousness. God has sown seeds of love into your journey. You know, reap in mercy, break up the the fallow ground. That means the uncultivated land, the unsown land. Let God break that up. So those seeds of love can get in there, he can water it with his living water, and then you can start moving into your promised land.
0: Wow, that is that is so good. Um, I appreciate the way that you, you painted that picture of of being finding our value in the seed and not in ourselves or not in certainly not in our trauma. Um, in, in
1: Trauma is a bad seed.
0: Yeah. Um, and so being able to, to focus on whose we are, um, first and foremost, and that we are created, we are masterpieces of the God who created everything. And he deeply cares individually for you and for me and for everybody listening. And that's where our value lies and to, to, to allow that seed to grow within us. Um, and, and, um, flourish within us is is what draws us into that that path of recovery
1: yeah it's who you are and remember the lies many of us are stuck in our trauma because we're believing lies know who you are i mean you are think about who you are in christ it's one of my first tiny habits is i would write with sharpies all over my body Mm. sticky notes all over the sticky notes everywhere who i am in christ do you know who you are I mean, are you, you're able to do all things. You know, that's Philippians 4. You're abounding in grace. You know, that's hmm. 2 Corinthians 9. You're abounding in hope. That's Romans 15. Yeah. You're Abraham's offspring. That's Galatians 3. You're accepted. That's Romans 15. You're acknowledging your need for God. That's Matthew 5. You're adequate. That's 2 Corinthians 3, you know? You're adopted. That's Galatians 4. You are an ambassador for Christ. That's 2 Corinthians 5. You're alive with Christ. That's Galatians 2. You're anointed. That's 1 John 2. And you're able to be anxious for nothing. That's Philippians 4. And um, those are just the A's. If you go through the Bible, wow. you can yeah. find A through Z, who you are in Christ. Yeah. And it's the truth that you choose to hold on to that brings you to breakthrough
0: go back and pause this and read every one of those scriptures that she just went through. Um, cause that will be good as we take a, even a tiny habit there to, to redefine how we see ourselves through the lens of how God sees us. Um, that's awesome. One oh. of the things you mentioned, Junie, you, you talked about how, when we have the prompt, we, we sometimes fall into like you did, you, you sought after sugar, um, and that can create an addiction within us. One of the, um, lines that I found to be most profound from your book was was this line it said you say busyness is the drug of choice for many people who are trying to cope with sorrow yes. I'll say that again busyness is the drug of choice for many people who are trying to cope with sorrow and I'm wondering if there are people right now hearing that just like I did and feeling very seen um, because that's that's what they're doing. They are filling their lives with everything else so much that they don't have to actually sit with the trauma that they've experienced, that that their go-to when they experience the prompt is to say, well, I need to fill my life with something else so that it can be out of sight, out of mind. Um, but that's not actually helping us move through it. Can you expound on that idea a little bit, that busyness is the drug of choice for, for folks who are experiencing tra- sorrow?
1: Of course. Yes. Well, you know, I was the poster child for that too. Mm. Um, Posting major market, morning radio, serving in several ministries, uh, teaching and speaking. If I wasn't behind a mic Monday through Friday, I was on a stage Saturday, six days a week, just really, really going and going and going. And then my mother passed in 2015. And, um, I think I, I mentioned, you know, I spent my entire childhood, most of my adulthood on suicide watch. And when mama passed, I can never forget my, um, our VP of broadcasting came to me and he said, Junie, if you need to take time off, you should, and you can. And I didn't,
0: Mm.
1: you know, because I was trying to outrun my sorrow and praise Jesus, the way that he leads the right people into our lives, the right allies. I had an interview that um, not long after my mother passed with um, Susie Larson, who is one of my dearest friends and mentors. And we met on the morning show and she was talking about your sacred. Yes. Yes. And how busyness is so destructive to everything God wants for your life. And she said, it takes courage to slow down. And my co-host, Carl, he saw my jaw struck, my jaw just dropped. And I was like, Susie, say that again. And she said it again. And then after we finished the interview, she actually reached out to me and she was like, hey, I loved your interview. And we, we became friends. And I said, Susie, I need you to talk with, talk with me about that. Um, Because yeah, busyness is a drug of choice. It takes courage to Mm. slow down. And we're running and we're busy because we're scared. We are scared of what we will feel if we slow down long enough to feel it. We're afraid. But you can never outrun your sorrow.
0: Mm.
1: It always catches up with you and it will take you down.
0: Mm. Wow.
1: So we have to recognize and confess, Lord, I'm sorry. I've been running from your prompting for me to slow down and be healed. He's asking every day, do you want to be made well? Mm. But we're running too hard and too fast to slow down and say, yes, Lord. Yeah. The, the way out of that pain is through it.
0: Yeah. The good news on that is that we don't go through it ourselves when we stop to slow down to experience the Lord coming into our lives in that in that moment. God is carrying us through that. That's not our work that we're, we're um, alone in, but the one who is all-powerful and can move mountains is there to, to move our mountains, to fight our battle with us um, and for us. And, and so there's, there's um, yeah, encouragement there as, as I'm kind of processing through um, as, you're, as you're saying that. That's a, a helpful reminder for me that it's, it's not me doing it alone. You know, it's, it's the Lord um, working for and through me um, in yeah. that space.
1: And so many people want to say, okay, it's me and Jesus, just me and Jesus. But we're designed, human design, to heal in community. Amen. And the scripture is clear. I mean, Proverbs 12, the wise seek counsel. Um, Proverbs 18, it is the, the fool isolates and rages against all wisdom. I mean, it's there in the scripture over and over again, the wise seek counsel, Jesus, Isaiah nine, he is wonderful, but he's also counselor. Mm. And so one of the best tiny steps you can take is to pray, Lord, show me first who I am to share my story with. Lord, show me who my counselor needs to be, should be. He's already got the person waiting to be with you, to journey with you, Um, but be very careful about this. Do a, uh, an inventory of the people in your life, because not everyone has a right to know your story. Mm. Make sure you pay careful attention to who the safe people are in your journey, and then be brave enough to share in a tiny way, one little thing, one tiny thing.
0: I think um, it's easy to um, to share vulnerably um, with somebody who's safe and mm-hmm. experience the, the, the fruit of that. Um, and get caught into this idea, well, I just need to share with everybody. Um, I need to share with people that I'm not ready to share with because I, I think it's going to it's gonna help me. Um, it's, I'm going to need to share with people that I don't feel safe around because it's going to help me. And that can also be a dangerous pathway as well.
1: It can be a doorway also for the enemy to invite yeah. people to the journey that are going to keep holding you back or make things worse. Yeah. So be Very careful and careful and wise. Yeah
0: even, even more reason to rest in the presence of the Lord, to slow down and listen and, and allow him to, to be, um, the, the leader of, of that, um, for us. And there's one more piece I wanted to touch on in, in your response to the busyness of the drug of choice from your story specifically, you filled yeah. it up with, with ministry. You did. <laughs> yes. you, were busy, you were busy in some of the work that people would say, that's the best work you can do. Right. And mm-hmm. yet, um, even though it was good, it wasn't serving you where you needed to be served in that moment, um, because you were you were running from your sorrow, running from your trauma, um, and so I think it's easy for us to get caught in in that mindset to say like, oh, well, I'm I'm serving at church, I'm I'm helping my neighbors, I'm I'm doing yeah. all these things, I'm I'm meeting, um, I'm leading a small group on two mornings a week at six a.m. or whatever, mm-hmm. just filling all of yeah. our time, because we think it's good, and it and it's good. But it's not if we're not allowing ourselves to to slow down and to to drink from the well that is the living water um of, of Jesus. It's,
1: yeah, it's breaking the heart of your father. Mm. It's breaking the father's heart because he's a good parent. He's a perfect parent.
0: Yeah, amen. Now,
1: God has need of nothing. Come on, he made the multiverse. Look at Colossians. You know, he's his he's holding the cells in our bodies together. He has wow. n- of nothing. He's a perfect parent. Abusive, unhealthy parents use their children and treat them like they're this huge extension of themselves. God doesn't do that. God is a loving parent. He invites us Mm. to be a part of his message of love and light to all of humanity. It's an invitation. And when you understand that you've been invited to shine his light and show his love, and you don't have to do it to earn his love. He loves you so much. There's nothing you can do to change that. There's nothing you have to do to change it. He doesn't need us. Hmm. He loves us. He adores us and invites us into his message of love and light and salvation for humanity. That sets us free. You know, unhealthy parents use you. But God doesn't do that. He invites you. So, slow down. Take a breath. If it doesn't get done by you, come on, Esther. God will get it done.
0: That's right. You know, (laughs) that's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. I appreciate even that, um, that sensitivity to the language there, um, that God is not using us. He's inviting us. Um, that's, that's really profound and helps even just in that small word change helps change my frame of reference for, for what, um, for the role that, that God has in, um, you know, being over my life and and being somebody that I want to, um, always be, uh, you know, turning to and, and and staying connected to the vine in that way.
1: Um all that ministry, you know, it looks great. I've got this huge bio. It looks so wonderful, but it really is just God inviting me into his adventure and me saying yes. Mm. But in those years before I made my healing the priority, he was proud of me, but his heart was broken because he knew his daughter was running a marathon with a broken leg. Mm. You know, um making it you know, it wasn't his will for, for, for me. And I, I know at the great white throne judgment, when God shows us, you know, the span of our journey, there'll be a lot of things that think of how a loving parent would say, Oh, you did so great there. You worked so hard, but I never really asked you to do that. Yeah. You did so good. Yeah. You know, yeah. we have to understand the difference between a good idea and a God idea because mm-hmm. there's a big difference.
0: So as we're coming to a close, I've got two more quick questions, um, to, to chat through briefly. And the first one is this, um, I can imagine, and maybe this is my own, um, you know, shortcoming or what, what have you, my own experience, my own. Yeah. Life coming through. Um, but I can imagine that there's somebody that's sitting here and listening to this and saying, we're talking about tiny habits, tiny, but my trauma is huge. My trauma is painful. Um, it's difficult. How can something tiny and so simple even make a dent? And I know you've shared a little bit to this to this end already, um, but can you rehash that a little bit just, just quickly for us?
1: I'll be glad to. The reason that the tiny is important is because your trauma recovery and healing journey will take place exactly in the same way that your trauma was created. Your trauma feels huge, but it was created incrementally one decision after the next a decision by your abuser that happened one decision after the next your responses and reactions the things that you chose to believe because of your trauma happened one decision after the next it was a belief that you took to heart that your trauma taught you it was a vow that you made so that you could stay safe for good i'm never going to open my heart again because it's going to get broken those are vows right Mm -hmm. so the trauma was created one Tiny decision event after the next. Your recovery happens the same way. One tiny decision event after the next. It's going to unravel the same way it was created. The reason the trauma is so huge is because incrementally over time, this is what you got. Yeah, but you're yeah. going to unravel that thing, making a healing and loving decision one after the next, mm. prompted by the reminders of your sorrow. That's what's so powerful. Emotions wow. creator. So whenever you get that prompt, think helpful, healing, loving responses, one after the next, and you will see that you're creating a new moment, a new hour, a new day, a new week, month, year, lifetime, legacy. It all happens one tiny decision after the next.
0: yeah, thanks for sharing that and, and putting in that perspective helps helps at least me to see it more clearly um, and, and recognizing too that that slowing and being with the Lord helps us to to make those tiny steps and, and moving through that um, and re reprogramming that code by the power of the spirit um, in that way as well. so thank you for that and finally, um, what would you tell somebody who's who's listening right now and they are currently drowning as they're they're trying to face their own trauma recovery um what 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 would you say to them how would you invite them into um next steps that that would help them and and, and draw them closer to the lord draw them closer to recovery yeah
1: well i highly recommend a good playlist i have a playlist hmm. called uh put there's a song on there by lecrae with john legend it's called drown so that might be a good way to start that playlist but One of the most helpful things I've learned, even above all the research and all of the acquiring and testing methods and models and trauma recovery techniques, I am super proactive about my mental health. One of the most helpful things for you and me in this journey is that it's crucial to understand no matter what you've been through, no matter what you've survived, God is not disappointed in you. He's not frustrated with you. He's not ashamed of you because it's never a sin to have a broken heart. Mm. So... What happened to you matters because you matter. So slow down and let God hold you as he breathes new life into you. Let him hold you while he fills your life with love. As you heal, Hmm. slow down and say, yes, I am ready, Lord, to be made well.
0: What a good word. Thank you for for sharing that. And thank you for pointing us to um, time and time again, the reminder that that our value is in who we have been created to be by God, um, that yes. we our value is in the fact that we are made in his image, that we are his, that we are his children. Um, and so to, to sit with that value, to slow down and sit with recognizing that we are worth it, um, that we have immense worth because we are God's, um, that helps just initially changed the perspective that we might have on on pushing forward towards towards recovery and towards healing and, and on that journey on that journey um so thank you so much um junie where can people find you how can people learn more and hear more from you and and get to know you more where where, where would you point people to
1: Well, I hope that you will stop by my website at juniefelix.com. There you can learn more about behavior design and neurotheology. And also there is an opportunity to get access to a tiny resource called The Gift of Sorrow, which was the original title for this book, The Gift of Sorrow. It's four tiny chapters. You can read it in less than 15 minutes um, gives you a high level view on behavior design and how to design your way out of, of sorrow. And so, um, Aaron, if you'd like, we can provide a, a free link for listeners of the podcast. I'll be glad to provide that. Yeah, but there's, that'd be great encouraging resources there, and also um, some updates on some work that I'm doing with Northern Seminary. I am, as of three weeks now, the coordinator for mentoring and engagement. And so I am working on getting women connected with mentors, mentees and mentors, so that we can journey together and have safe allies in the journey.
0: That's wonderful. Thank you so much. And yeah, feel free to, to visit her website. Um, and we'll have that, that um, resource linked as well. For folks to check that out, um, but I hope that you will be continuing to 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 lift Junie up in prayer and and celebrate what the Lord is is doing in her life. Um, and Junie, we just thank you for your ministry, thank you for your heart and your care um, to to help people recognize and and live into the restoration that Jesus has for them in their trauma. So thank you for joining us. It it really means a lot.
1: It's really been an honor. Thank you, and I'll be praying for you and your team as well.
0: Thank you so much, Junie. Take care.
1: Bye now.
0: And now let's hear from Eric Haskins as he offers a spiritual discipline that can serve as a lifeline for all of us.
2: I was recently challenged to come up with a title for the current season of my life that I find myself in. Since then, I've been kicking around a bunch of titles for myself. There's the titles I can't say publicly, because how do I say this? Um, They're not very pastoral, let's just put it that way. There's the other titles such as, Can We Go Home Yet? When is this going to be over? Again, really? How much more? You get the idea, right? But as I was reflecting on this week's podcast, and talking through the trauma of our lives, the title... Lean on Me came across my mind and heart. And I said to myself, now that's a great title for my experience in so many ways in recent months. Especially as I've been moving through some traumatic experiences with our extended family. And I found myself a little divided emotionally, relationally, and spiritually for a whole host of reasons. So Lean on Me. It is also a great title and summary of what Jesus shares in Matthew 11, a passage I often turn to in especially trying times when I'm feeling depleted and in need of some foundational spiritual reminders. The passage is actually an invite from Jesus, and I love the way the message puts it. Are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. Keep company with me, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Did you catch the phrase, learn the unforced rhythms of grace? In other words, I think it's safe to say Jesus is inviting and telling us to lean on me. This is something I've especially experienced this past summer in relation to prayer in two distinct ways. At the beginning of last summer, I read Pastor Tish Harrison Warren's book, Prayer in the Night. A number of items caught my attention from this book, especially as I was dealing with a number of significant traumatic events within our extended family. Like what Trish writes here, when you're drowning, we need a lifeline. And our lifeline in grief cannot be mere optimism that maybe our circumstances will improve because we know that may not be true. We need practices that don't simply soothe our fears or pain, but that teach us to walk with God in the crucible of our own fragility. Now one practice and lifeline that my wife Linda and I engaged in last summer during this difficult time was what is called praying the hours. Praying the hours is when you pray at set times throughout the day. For us it was four times morning noon evening and bed. In different Christian traditions it can be as many as 8 times. For our practice of praying the hours, uh, we used a prayer book designed especially for that, where 95% of the prayers are simply passages of Scripture we use to bring us back center throughout the course of our day. The amazing part of this is that we decided to do this before we read Tisha's book and before circumstances in our lives got a little, how do I say, wonky last summer, And what I didn't realize is that God was already extending us an invitation to lean on me. I say that because in praying the night, Tish reminds us, in times of deep darkness, the waymakers that have kept me in the way of Jesus were the prayers and practices of the church. When I could not pray, the church said, here are prayers. When I could not believe, the church said, come to the table and be fed. When I could not worship, the church sang over me the language of faith. My encouragement to you listening to this podcast is to engage in a form of praying the hours. I mean, let's face it, when we are in the midst of dealing with trauma or journeying with others through their trauma, words fail us. Coming up with words and how and what to pray seems a little overwhelming. Engaging in the spiritual practice of keeping the hours twice a day or more allows you to be carried and cared for by the prayers of the church. A very helpful way to get started is through using the app named Lectio 365. It's a great free app that offers you a morning and evening prayer experience that you can listen to. As you do, I hope and pray and may become the lifeline you need to experience the unforced rhythms of grace Jesus invites us into in the midst of our trauma. Enjoy. We pray
0: that this episode and the Lifelines podcast as a whole has been a blessing for you. For more resources, please visit christchurch.us lifelines or reach out to any of our staff team for a chance to talk and pray through anything that you may be facing or going through. As you go, do so knowing that our great God sees you and knows you and loves you more than you can fathom and that because of him, you have immense value. Thank you for tuning in to Lifelines, a conversation on mental health.